0: So this morning we are going to continue our series, God at the Movies, and unfortunately like last week we had a live feed from Washington, D.C. where we had Nate beamed in, but apparently that technology is not available at Myrtle Beach, and so instead of having Nate come through live feed, I am going to be sharing with you this morning. But I'm really excited because of all the movies that we're doing in this series, this one is... The one I, I've, really, I've been excited about this movie for years, actually, the A-Team movie, and the reason is is I, I'm at just the right age that when the A-Team series was on, I was at just that age where I thought it was the greatest thing ever, because Mr. T, if, to an eight-year-old, Mr. T was just so cool, and I remember like, growing up, we would, we would actually play A-Team, and we would always fight over who got to be Mr. T. And then whoever ended up winning that fight, then we would fight over who was space, and then we would kind of divvy up the other two amongst whoever lost those battles, which is kind of interesting, because now if I got to pick, I would definitely be Hannibal. Like, just being older, I would definitely be Hannibal. But at that age, I, I was a Mr. T fan, definitely. And I still am kind of a Mr. T fan, so whenever that um, Mr. T commercial comes on for World of Warcraft, there's always, like, a moment of silence. Well, that's going on. But, but the thing about the A-team was that Growing up, I wasn't allowed to actually watch the A-Team. My parents didn't really ban much around the house, but for some reason, A-Team was one of the band shows. And I remember when I was like seven or eight years old, me and my brother got a little 13-inch black-and-white TV for Christmas to put in our bedroom. And I remember commenting to my parents like, sweet, now I can watch the A-Team. And they said, no, if we catch you watching the A-Team on this TV, we will take it away from you. So I grew up deprived of the A-Team, but thinking it was really awesome. And then finally, a couple of years ago, I moved to, Cincinnati, when I'm living in Cincinnati, we get digital cable with DVR. And one of my roommates finds a channel called Slith TV, which shows a bunch of detective shows. And lo and behold, the A-Team is one of the shows that they show. And so I'm really excited. So I set my DVR, every occurrence of A-Team is gonna record. So every day when I got home from work, there was an episode of the A-Team waiting for me. And one of the things I learned while watching these reruns is there was a pretty strict formula that episodes of the A-Team, well, I learned a couple things. First of all, there wasn't much of a plot other than the strict formula that every episode follows. Some person gets shaken down by some bad guy, usually a mob type. They go through all these hoops to finally find the A-Team. The A-Team comes, has the initial counter, then face hits on whatever female that he's helping out and so they kinda get this romantic subplot going. Then they have the second encounter with the bad guys which always goes poorly and generally they get caught and they get locked in a room with all the tools they need to make a really elaborate weapon for the final showdown at the end which has a lot of gunfire but nobody actually getting shot. They'd always shoot to flip the car and in this universe, car flips are not fatal. You can flip three or four times and still pop out. Of course, Jordan here has survived a car flip. So he would make, you would make a good 18 villain. So, very exciting. So, yeah. And so then I heard 18 movie. They're going to make a movie. And I'm like half excited and half kind of like worried because these characters are so iconic. Like, who's going to play B.A.? I mean, who can top Mr. T, right? Who, who can help fill these roles? But nonetheless, Couple of months ago, I'm like, Nate, forgot the movies. We gotta do A-Team. He's like, all right, you wanna do it? I'm like, yes, definitely. Put me on the A-Team. And so here we are this morning. And really, like, as I was kinda as I watched the movie, like, there wasn't like this some movies you watch them and the sermon just kinda jumps out at you. You like you follow the plot and it's just a great analogy. A team didn't really do that so much. But but as I got to thinking about it, I got to looking at the individual characters. There's actually a sermon that comes out of each of the four characters. And so today, instead of one big sermon, we're going to have four little mini-sermons based on each of the characters of the A-Team, and I have a little intro video for each one. And so Bobby, you're going to queue up the first one. Subject, Colonel John Smith, a.k.a. Hannibal. <laughs> the A-Team. This film was not get ready. And so the first character is Lieutenant Colonel John aka Hannibal Smith. And Hannibal is the leader of the A-Team, their commanding officer. And and you heard his you heard his key line there that the, the line that he's most famous for, maybe the most famous line that actually came from the A-Team. That's I love it when a plan comes together. Because Hannibal was always the man who had the plan, no matter what situation that they found themselves in. And see, the thing that I learned from Hannibal is this. see, And I don't, ha- I don't have like, PowerPoint slides, so the, fir- the first blank you're going to fill in here. Is Hannibal, for Hannibal, there is no such thing as impossible. No situation is impossible for him. Because he has, he has this confidence in himself He has this confidence in his team that no matter what they face, they they can get through it, they can accomplish it, they can overcome any bad guy, they can get out of any situation. There's no such thing as impossible for the A-team. And it's the same way with the church, it's the same way with us. See Hannibal had confidence in his and his team's ability. We We should have confidence, we should live confidently Because we have the Holy Spirit guiding us. We have the Holy Spirit empowering us. And so we have access to the greatest power in all the universe. Lives actually inside of us, guides us, pushes us on. And actually, like last year when I was preaching on Wolverine, I used this verse, and I'm using it again because it just, I don't know, you get into superhero movies, and this just really kind of jumps out. John 14:12 Jesus tells his disciples, "I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Once you, I you last year Jesus tells us that we will do greater things than he did, greater things than Jesus, which just seem impossible to us because Jesus Jesus was God. He could do anything. He healed people. He did miracles. He fed 5,000 people with a bag lunch. Jesus could do anything. And yet he said that we could do greater things than he could. And if that's truly the case, there there is no such thing as impossible. There is no situation that we can't handle. But sometimes... Sometimes when challenges come before us, they seem impossible. They th- they seem daunting. They knock us down. And so I'm going to be reading from James, one two through five, where James talks about facing difficult situations, facing trials, and he says, "Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete." Not lacking anything, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. When we face an impossible situation, James gives us three things that we should do. And the first thing he says is to consider it pure joy. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. Which seems like the it seems like the opposite. I mean, that's not. That's not our first reaction when something bad happens to us. When something really difficult comes our way, we don't necessarily, we don't, it's not our reflex to consider it joy. But see, that's one of the kind of interesting things about Hannibal on the A-team, is whenever they face this difficult situation, this smile always kind of pops on his face, because Hannibal sees it not as something that's impossible, but he sees a challenge waiting to be overcome. You see, the challenge for him waiting to be overcome. And I think that's what James is talking about here. It's not that we're excited that bad things are happening to us. But whenever we do face a difficult situation, we should consider it joy because it's a challenge to be overcome. It's a chance to see God in action. And see, I I was kind of doing some research because I thought about joy. Actually, I had this passage way back in January. And... I think one thing that we confuse is joy and happiness. We confuse joy and happiness. And as I was doing research on this, I read something somewhere that said that happiness has the same root as the word happening. And so happiness is based on what's happening around us. The two are kind of linked to each other. Joy is an attitude. Joy is an approach to a situation. And so when we face trials, we consider it joy. We, we, we can choose joy. It's a choice that we can make. We can be joyful going into it. And it just happens to do with our perspective, how we see the situation going into it. Is it a challenge to be overcome, or is it a bad thing that's happening to me? We have a choice in that. The second thing that James says in verse 4 is that perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so the second thing we have to do is we have to learn or actually I have a different word. is develop perseverance. We develop perseverance through difficult situations. The A team is what's called an alpha unit in the army and it's um it, it, and it's a special forces unit that um and the alpha units are kind of the front lines of the special forces and so they go in and they do They do many things, one of the things they do is the covert operations where um, just the really difficult things. And and so to be in special ops, you have to be be a pretty elite soldier anyway. But then after you make it into special operations, you have a very difficult training regiment because they face extreme conditions. And because they're going to be facing extreme conditions, they have to prepare themselves for that. And so they go through very difficult training. One of the things James says here is that when you face a difficult situation, not only is it a challenge that you can overcome, but it's also also a learning experience. It's also a growing experience. When you face a seemingly impossible situation, it's a chance for you to learn. It's a chance for you to grow. It's not just a chance for God to work for you. It's also a chance for God to work in you, to develop you, to teach you, to give you strength, to give you perspective. And so when you face the next difficult situation or when you encounter somebody else who's facing a difficult situation, you now have this new understanding, this new power, this new strength within you because you went through this previous situation. And so developing perseverance is a second way to, have to, to get through difficult situations. And a third thing James tells us to do in verse five he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And so the third thing James tells us to do in these situations is to pray for wisdom. And this, and I'm somebody, I'm not, I'm not good at prayer. Like it's just, it's one of my weak areas. But one, th- one thing that I do pray for a lot is I really, ap- I really apply this verse in my life. Pray for wisdom. Because one thing about different... One thing when you face a difficult situation is that we tend to fear things that we don't understand. We struggle with things when we don't understand, and so I think what James is telling us to do is when you face a difficult situation, ask God for wisdom so that you can have some understanding, so you can see things from His perspective rather than your limited perspective. And I don't like one thing that kind of really kind of illustrated this to me is I was. Um, I was flying to Hartford to see my girlfriend over Christmas break and right as we started to come into our initial descent, there was this girl probably about five years old, kind of in the seat behind me and across the aisle. She was sitting by the window, her dad was sitting next to her and then her mom was over on my side and for whatever reason, right as we're coming to initial descent, this girl decides she wants to change the arraignment, she wants to sit by her mom. But the pilots turn the seatbelt light on so everyone's locked in their seats for the rest of the flight. And of course, the descent takes about half an hour after he turns it on. And so constantly this girl was just constantly just saying, I want to sit by mommy. I want to sit by mommy. I want to sit by mommy. Just over and over and over again. And see, here's the thing about that. It's to her, her request seemed totally reasonable. I mean, it's just a matter of mom and dad just switching seats, and her, and, it, and it's okay. But see, she didn't understand the bigger picture. She didn't understand the concept of the seatbelt light and the safety that kind of goes behind that. She didn't understand why they couldn't just switch seats. And we approach God like that sometimes. Sometimes our requests just seem perfectly reasonable. God, why don't you just fix this situation, just... Adjust a couple things like that, and it'll work out perfectly for me. But there's usually things that we don't understand in that situation that God understands. And I think that's what the command to pray for wisdom is about, is to ask God to help us to understand the parts of the situation that we don't understand, rather than asking for God to alter the outcome in our favor somehow. And I think that's kind of the third thing that helps us to overcome the impossible. We consider it joy. We go in with the right attitude. We develop perseverance. We develop the ability to deal with a situation. And we pray for wisdom. We ask for God to help us to understand the parts of it that we don't understand. So that it doesn't seem quite so scary. And so that's our sermon on Hannibal. Now we're going to go to the next character. Subject, Bosco Baracas, a.k.a. B.A. Sucks to be you, homie. He is the A-team's vehicle and munitions expert. And should be approached with extreme caution. On B.A., you're going to be unconscious. I'm sorry, I can't stop looking at your hair. The A-team, this film is not yet ready. So that was Ba Baracus, who, as I mentioned earlier, was one of my heroes growing up. Just big, tough dude, um, but also like, you know, as you're young, you, you're impressed with his strength. But I think as I got older, like the thing that really impressed me about Ba Baracus is you lock him in a room with an arc welder and some seemingly spare parts. And he can improvise some of the most elaborate weapons imaginable to get out of a situation. I mean, actually, like, MacGyver's known for that, but I really think, like, what BA does is even more impressive than MacGyver. I mean, MacGyver can take a few things to get out of a situation, BA can take the same parts and, like, just build this elaborate weapon. So, like, it's just crazy. And that's the thing I think that we learn from BA, is that he's able to accomplish a lot with very little. He's able to accomplish a lot with very little. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes we look at our little bit and think it doesn't really matter. Maybe we look at some of our talents and strengths and think that what we have isn't really useful to God, really isn't useful to the church. Or what little money I have to offer. We think that what little we have doesn't matter. But the truth is through God, your little bit can become big things. And so I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 7 through 19, actually 20. And it says, "Now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good." To one there is given through the spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives to them each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were baptized by one spirit into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of many. I made of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact... God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If there were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And I love the analogy that Paul uses there, because the reality is that every part of the body is essential for the body to work. Have you ever kind of discussed that question, like, which sense would you rather lose? Would you rather lose your sight or your hearing? I've had that discussion. It just goes on, and it's, it's such a pointless conversation, because reality is we don't want to lose either sense, because they're both very important to us. But, but I love how, like, Paul kind of, like, he talks about these body parts, and just, just imagine, you know, what if your hand said, you know what? I'm not a foot. I'm useless and it just quit working imagine if your nose just said hey you know what I can't see I don't really do anything all that vital I just imagine that for a second it just it seems kinda it seems kinda crazy when it's put that way but the reality is that happens among the church all the time people say well I can't I can't teach and I can't sing so really what do I have to offer but the reality is that there's just God has given you something. God has given you something, and he gave you that for a reason, and he gave you that because it's necessary. See, one of the things, one of the cool things that I kind of realized when I was in seminary, kind of studying this sort of stuff, is that God, God knows the needs of each church. God knows the needs of Freedom Ridge, and because of that, he is placed what we need here within the church. We have what we need within this church. And so if God has put you here, then you have a purpose. You have a role to play in this church. And I see kind of, i point out four things that Paul kind of talks about here. And the first one is that God, all of the gifts are to point to God. All gifts are to point to God. All gifts are there for His glory, and so we we so often we use it. Our, we look at our gifts and we look at our talents, and we see them as things for our own personal use. You know, God's given me talent. Made me a musician, so I'm going to go out and make some money as a musician. Probably not so much money, or maybe I'll go out and I can use this talent to get girls right That's why I learned to play guitars I wanted um, and it took like 15 years but it finally worked but <laughs> uh, huh That was part of it. I got a fun story for that after church so if you want to hear it so um, <laughs> um, but yeah they're all designed to glorify God and because of that since God gave us that gift to use for him, there's an obligation to use that. I mean, because it's not really yours; it's really his, and you're just using it. You're just borrowing it, and he's given he's given you a reason for that. And so, if you haven't figured out where your place is in the church yet, if you haven't figured out where you need to be serving, that's something you need to be doing. That's something you need to be thinking about. It's something you need to be talking about. The second thing is that the Spirit decides who gets what gift. The Spirit decides who gives what gift. And as I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, he does so because he knows what the church needs. And so he has a plan in determining who gets what to make sure that everything ultimately gets covered. And so I think kind of what Paul's saying with that is that You should be happy with whatever your role is, whatever gift you get, because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God himself has determined what that role is. See, kind of one of the interesting things about this passage, kind of a little background on it, is Paul's writing this particular passage because there was something going on in the Corinthian church where a lot of people were saying, and you still hear this a little bit today among some charismatic churches, but Paul's writing because some are saying that speaking in tongues was the most important spiritual gift, or even a sign gift. And what I mean by sign gift is that if you speak in tongues, that's a sign that you are saved. And if you don't speak in tongues, that's a sign that you're not saved. And actually, like, this, still, this still exists even today. Like I was, Cincinnati, we had worship team practice one night some guys knocked on our back door of the church actually, came in and asked for some water. So we got them some water and as we were pouring it, they were asking us if we were speaking in tongues, if we spoke in tongues, and I was like, no, and he's like, oh, well, you know, Bible says that if you are saved, then you'll speak in tongues. I'm like, no, actually, it says the opposite, that some people speak in tongues and some people won't, and the point of that is that it's the Spirit decides who does what, and so it's not up to me to say I should have the gift of tongues, or I should have this gift or that gift, or I want this gift, and so I want to do this role, so God, you need to give that to me. But the Spirit has determined that. And He gives different gifts to different people to make sure everything's covered. And the third thing is that all gifts are essential. All gifts are essential. because I said before, God has given them because He knows the needs of people in this church, of people in this community, and He's covered that. And just like with the body... Every part of the body is essential for the body to function correctly. And and if if a part of the body doesn't function correctly, there's something wrong. I mean, that is a medical problem that we try to fix. And it should be the same way with the church. If there's a part not functioning, it needs to start functioning. And the fourth part is that everybody is a vital team member. Not only is gift your gift important, you are important. What God is doing in this church, you are a vital team member, just like the four members of the A team are all essential. You are essential to the church too. And so that's my B A section of the sermon. So now, next video. Beautiful place. Is it timeshare? I'd love to get in. <laughs> Good morning! Subject Templeton Peck, aka Face Magic. You have a little something on your neck. No, some guy was trying to burn and hang me. The troubleshooter of the 18. What are you doing here? I'm just looking at a little face to face. Face? He's never to be trusted. Beyond nuts, boss. A little something! I'm gonna pop a window! This woman's not getting ready. And so the fourth character, or third character was Templeton Peck, also called Face Man or Face. And he, he's such an interesting character. Um, actually, to do some research for this sermon, I actually got on Netflix and was watching some old A Team episodes, particularly trying to get kind of an angle to go with Face. And, uh, there was a really great description of him in one episode where he was described as a con man with integrity. I enjoy that because he, can, he, he has a con man. Like, he kind of goes undercover, and whenever the team needs something, he, go, he does some kind of scam to get that for him. But usually he scams the bad guys to get whatever he needs to ultimately defeat them. It's just very resourceful. But one of the interesting things about him in the movie is, as I mentioned earlier, Hannibal is the one who always makes the plan. Hannibal's the one who always makes the plan. But in the movie, it kind of did a really interesting thing because at one point, well, they end up, they get get betrayed by their commanding officer. And I won't go into too much detail in case you haven't seen it and want to see it. And you definitely should see it because best movie of the summer by far. So there's my, but they get betrayed. And Hannibal gets rattled because of that when he realizes that they got betrayed And he didn't see it coming, and he just kind of gets shell-shocked by it. And so in that situation, Face ends up stepping up and making the plan. Face makes the plan. Face covers for Hannibal when he's down. He steps up for him when he's in trouble. And so kind of going along with that, I'm going to kind of read more into... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to pick it up in verse 21, and it says the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so kind of the, the first two blanks you have there on faces section, if one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part of the body is suffering... Everything is suffering. And that's true. Have you ever had, like, a bad toothache? You have a bad toothache. It's just one little part of your body. But I know, like, the times I've had a bad toothache, I am totally useless. Like, I can't do anything else. Because that one part is suffering. That's it. Like, my hand's not hurting, but I can't really do anything with my hands because I just can't concentrate. One part of the body is suffering. Every part is suffering And that's so true. Because, as we think out here, everyone is essential to what God is doing. And so if we're missing one part, we need to take care of that. If one person is suffering if one person is suffering, we need to take up for them. We need to take care of that. Because if they're suffering, we're all suffering, because we're all in this together. We're all a part of this. And kind of like kind of the first part when I was talking about BA, you know, it's kind of almost this talk like, you need to realize that you are important. And then this kind of, this section is, you need to realize everyone else is important as well. You know, just like as the hand can't say, I'm not a foot, I'm not gonna work. You also can't say, hey, I'm a hand, I don't need you foot. Your hand needs your foot because if you ever try to walk on your hands, there's a couple of us that can probably do it, but it's just a lot harder that way, though, even if you can do it. It's just harder, you know? (laughs) And it's the same way that, you know, I I don't know for me personally, and and like all ministers, like, I'll be honest with you, like ministers just have an ego. Like to stand up in front of people and teach them, it just, it takes a certain level of ego it takes a certain level of ego to be a worship leader. And it's something I struggle with because I'm up front a lot and I'm in some of the positions of glory. And it's really easy to think, hey, look how important I am. Because I, I can both teach and lead worship. I mean, how awesome am I, right? And those are, those are important roles. But honestly, if you put me back there with the kids, I would be almost useless, I would be so out of my element. And so the yeah, what you guys do is essential. Like it's, it's amazing, it's important. And I'm glad you guys can do it because I can't. And so I need you guys and you guys need me and I need Bobby and I need Jenny and I need Jordan and you guys need me and we all need each other because we're all kind of intertwined, we're all connected in this. But at the same time too, Sometimes we do have to cover for each other when somebody's down. This week's a good example, because Nate's not here. And so we had to cover for, like these last two weeks, we've had to cover for Nate in a lot of different ways. Like Nate, honestly, Nate did a lot more than I realized. And it's not knocking on him. It's just, you just don't, you don't, know. it's not that I didn't think he did a lot, but it's just, when you have to actually pick up and do it, you realize that like, (laughs) not only does he preach, He's the reason the projector gets set up every morning and the computer has to get set up. And it's just, he's gone, we have to pick it up. I know like if Troy's not here, it's just a lot more work for me because we kind of do the same thing up here when we're setting up. And if one of us is gone, that's a lot of slack that we have to pick up. But That's like the cool thing about Face is, Hannibal's having trouble making a plan and he just steps right in and does it. And I think that's one of the cool things is um, you know we all have the areas that we're supposed to be serving in but if another area is getting missed sometimes it's on us to cover that too and we have to be willing to step in and pitch in and take care of each other and it's kind of the first one that says one thing we have to do is cover each other which is kind of the one blank there and the other thing is to encourage each other you know there's a cool scene in the movie where um, I wish I had the clip for this but unfortunately the place where we get our clips didn't have 18 clips but there's a scene where Face is kind of having some doubts about the plan that he made because um, there's a lot of pressure on him because you know you're making a plan for a covert military operation a lot can go wrong in that and people <laughs> your teammates might get hurt and he's kind of like struggling with that and Murdoch comes up to him and it's like, hey, you know what, I've got the most to lose in this plan, and I trust you. And I think we don't realize sometimes that week to week, we see people in their element, and, and they make it look easy. People doing things in their element make it look easy. But the reality is it's not always easy. And there is a lot, I was talking about kind of the preacher ego a few minutes ago. Well, part of that preacher ego, uh, there's a real dark side to it too, where you think you think everything's on you. <laughs> you think everything's on you, and if, if you mess up, like I know, like sometimes, like I come in Sunday morning, and if I mess up on worship, then it's just going to snowball, and ultimately, freedom edge isn't going to exist anymore because of my mistake. <laughs> and it's something we all struggle with to some degree. Um, it's just it's human nature. I mean. This is one of the ways we get attacked is with self-doubt. And so we need to encourage each other. We need to say, hey, Bobby, even something like, I really appreciate you setting up the curtains every week. And I really mean that, too, because I don't, first of all, I don't want to have to set them up, because I have other stuff to set up. And <laughs> it's just, it, it's vital. Like, it seems like a little bit, but it's vital. You know, and so we should be encouraging one another very often because, Sometimes it, doesn't feel, sometimes it doesn't feel like what we do matters. Sometimes it feels like it matters too much. And both of those can weigh on us. So encourage each other. Now the fourth character and final character is coming up. James Howling Mad Murdoch. The secret's out. You crazy. The A team's aviation expert. gentlemen to right wing and oh, on will oh, Awesome! He is considered unstable. Here we go. And should be approached with extreme caution. making you banking my back! will you, you fool! You can't park there, it's a handicapped zone! No. This one was not rated. And so that was Murdoch who is their pilot. And there's two, things about, there's two things about Murdoch that you learn from watching the series or watching the movie. One, is that he's considered the greatest helicopter pilot in the army. And number two, that he's crazy. And like to the point where he's actually like, he lives in a mental hospital, like that's where he's confined to both in the series and in the movie. So he's crazy enough, and it doesn't really say the nature of his condition, they just call him crazy, and he lives in a mental hospital. And so those are the two things about Murdoch. But as I was kind of researching this, and I was actually doing some research on Wikipedia, and it it pointed out something really interesting, and that's that it's probably because he's crazy that he is the greatest helicopter pilot, Because, because he's crazy. He's willing to try out things that just seem impossible, seem dangerous, that just would seem foolish to do. But because of his condition, he's willing to try those and is successful. And so for Murdoch, and this is really key, his greatest liability becomes his greatest strength. His greatest liability becomes his greatest strength. That's something that Paul spends a lot of time talking about actually, and I'm going to read from Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, which verse 9 is there, it's a key verse. To keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surprisingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, and in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. See, one thing Paul talks about a lot throughout it says it is weaknesses, not his strengths. It's in his weaknesses where he, really has, where he really sees God having to work. You know, Paul, Jesus told him, you know, it's in your weakness that I'm going to carry you. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to pull you through this. And so kind of what Paul says is that, you know, it's one thing to succeed in the areas where you're strong. It's another thing to succeed in the areas where you're not strong. And I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations. I know, like, there have been several times, like, just one I'm just kind of counseling somebody on something and talking them through a difficult time, and I just honestly have no idea what to say. And so I'm, like, totally winging it the whole time. And then afterwards, I'll be like, wow, man, you have a lot of great insights. You seem to know exactly what you're talking about. And I can honestly say, like, I had no, I had no idea what I was talking about. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. That was God. And so in our weaknesses, in areas where we're not strong, or where we have the opportunities to really see God work, to, and, and it's one of those moments where I think, not only is like an opportunity to see him work, but it's, it's, it's the times where God's work is most obvious to us because you look back and you're just like, whoa, that couldn't have been me. That is just, I'm not capable of something like that, but kind of as we talked about earlier, there is no impossible because God does work through us. And so now, kind of the summary, just kind of going back with Hannibal, we learned that God, through God, there is no impossible. From Ba, we learned that God uses our strengths. From Murdoch, we learned that God uses our weaknesses. And from faith, we learn that God can use us in situations that aren't necessarily our strengths or our weaknesses. And so if you kind of look over the summary, you realize that it's all covered. God's there when you're strong. God's there when you're weak. God's there in those situations where not necessarily a weakness, not necessarily a strength. And whatever the situation there is, whether it's your strength, where it's your weakness, God works in all of those situations. God uses all of those things. And so because of that, God is there in every situation. And if God's there in every situation, then there is no impossible situation for us. There is no impossible. The key isn't to trust yourself. The, tree, the key isn't to try to fix the situation. The key is just to trust God going into it, no matter what it is, no matter if it's an area where you're totally comfortable or an area where you're totally clueless and just totally winging it, God is present in all of those situations. And so now we're going to go